Listen now to the sacred words found in the letter of Paul to the followers of Christ in Rome. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher in teaching, the encourager and encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. to be in this space. It holds so many warm memories. Thank you. <laughs> so, Paul spent 11 chapters, before we get to this chapter 12, highlighting the awesomeness of God. Paul explains that Christ is the promised Messiah, which means that God was faithful he had promised the Messiah and the Messiah came. So we can trust God's faithfulness. That through Christ, we were to receive grace and now live in grace and not in law. Now for Paul, this is pretty significant. So you have to understand where Paul is coming from. The Jewish people at the time followed hundreds of laws what to do when they got up, what to do when they went to bed, what to do when they worked, how to clean their hands right, how to eat right, what to eat, what not to eat. It was a constant bombardment of making sure that you follow the law. And is anybody perfect? Nope. None of us are perfect. So Paul would end up like every other good Jew, breaking many laws and then carrying around that guilt and feeling that you have to go and make amends for this guilt, for breaking the law and not being faithful to God. And, and Jesus came and said, no, the law was never supposed to be legalistic. The law was just to let you know what is the heart of God. It's about your heart. It's about your mind. It's about your body. And so Paul is rejoicing. Yay, I don't have to follow those hundreds of laws anymore. 
Through Jesus, we find the righteousness of God. We learn that God judges with truth. God knows everything. And he judges according to everything that has happened. What a relief. God knows the truth. God knows our hearts and our intent, even if other people didn't see it that way. He teaches that, uh, Jesus teaches that the riches of God is kindness and patience and goodness. And in chapter 8, Paul really gets to the heart of it. He says in 8.28, all things work together for good. Even when the world is in chaos, even when we are going through the biggest crisis, all things work together for good. For those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose, because God has a purpose for each and every one of us. As the title of my sermon today is As the World Turns. Yes, it was a soap opera. Because really, we all live soap operas, don't we? We live the constant drama, the ups and downs, everything that happens in a soap opera eventually will happen in our lives. The world is a messy place. And so as the world turns, God is still there. God is still fulfilling purpose. God is still making it work somehow or other. We might not understand at the time, but it'll work. It'll come in handy, even the getting hurt. Because if God is for us, who is against us? As Paul says in 831 and in 838, Paul says, for I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Breathe it in. Even in the divisiveness that we live in today, even in the proto-fascist Christian right, even in the politics that we are living, even in all the injustices that are happening and the social unrest that still exists, even in that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing we do, Nothing others do to us, no matter what is going on in the world. So, okay, now we go to today's passage. Paul is overcome with joy. I mean, this is good news. God loves us no matter what. God forgives us. We do not have to follow the law. This is great news. This is wonderful news. And Paul is jumping for joy, overwhelmed by how wonderful this is. And what is the response of thankfulness, of gratefulness, of awesomeness of God, of recognizing what a wonderful life we have because of God? 
The response is worship. But not the kind of worship we're doing this morning. See, this worship service, it's not for God. God doesn't need a hundred praise gods. God doesn't need to be told he's great. God doesn't need our acclamations. We do these liturgies, this tradition, this ritual to remind ourselves of who God is. Because throughout the week, the struggles sometimes are so hard and we feel so desperate and alone that we need to weekly be reminded God is with you. God sees all things. God loves you. And so we worship. Not here. This, this worship service is really for us. It's for us to learn about who God is. It's for us to learn about the heart. It's for us to share in community, to find the connection we need to be human beings. The touch, the hugs, the smiles. We desperately need that. That's what this worship service is about. So how do we worship God? Well, for Paul, we worship God with our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. Worship with our body is doing the things of God. When we live, when we actually walk to a person who's hungry and give them food, we are worshiping God. When we go and stand at the Capitol and march for transgender rights, we are worshiping God in that moment. God's heart is exploding in love for us because we are doing the things of God. We are living the values of God. We are following the examples of Jesus. The example of Jesus who was willing to die for justice. Willing to die because he kept telling religious leaders, you're not taking care of the poor and the sick, and you're marginalizing people, and you're not taking care of the widows and the orphans, and you're taking money for yourself and not sharing it out. And that's why they killed him. Because he threatened him. He died to show us that he's willing to die for justice, for peace. As Micah, as Micah um, 6 would say, well, I haven't got, we'll, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Ah, uh, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk? humbly with your God. We are following the example of Jesus who just went out into the world and did. Jesus was not about having worship service. He was about just going to the world and meeting people where they were and doing for them what they, he could. And the sacrifice is not about that we're offering a sacrifice to God, but that we're willing to sacrifice ourselves 
just like Jesus sacrificed himself for others. That we do not make ourselves first. We worship with our mind. Paul talks about reframing our thinking. It's not about worldly values, but God's values. And if you want to know about God's values, all you have to read is Matthew 5 to 7 and the Sermon on the Mount. That's all you need. It's about forgiveness, being peacemakers, compassion, and my favorite line of all on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew is to do unto others as you would want them to do to you. Not as do unto others and love others, because boy, some of us, or as we love ourselves, because some of us really don't know how to love ourselves. As a matter of fact, the worst person we treat is ourselves. But do unto others as you would want them to do to you. Boy, that should stop you in your tracks. It's like, am I treating this difficult, loud, aggressive person the way I want to be treated? Am I treating this person who says the absolute opposite of what I think the way I would want to be treated? That's, that's a challenge. It's a challenge to our hearts. Jesus also teaches of us and Paul teaches us about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. The important things, if we have God in us, then we will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me make sure we are all on the same page. It's a choice. See, we have free will. God doesn't bully anybody into doing something. He desires that we do what is best for us. He desires, God desires, that we take care of ourselves as the, our mother desires that we are, are, give ourselves time for self-care, and understanding and working through our problems. <clears throat> God's desire is the best for us, but it's a free will choice to go through with it. We must freely choose to say, yes, I am going to live <clears throat> by the values of God. I am going to, <clears throat> I got too excited, huh? <laughs> I am going to um, choose to do the things that God is calling me to do. Now, some of you say, well, that is so difficult. Absolutely. But it is possible with God, through God, and for God. God is the partnership that we need to give us the courage and the strength and the discernment to do the things that need to be done in the world. And we worship with our spirit. 
<clears throat> our spirit prays to God, sits still and meditates in order to hear God's still speaking voice, in order to participate in God's will, we must sit still and listen. <clears throat> Worship is Worship is responding with the body, the mind, and the spirit. Now, responding in the UCC church looks like be the church. We worship and love God by protecting the environment, caring for the poor, forgiving often, rejecting racism, fighting for the powerless, and sharing earthly and spiritual resources, and embracing diversity. Paul's vision of enjoying this life <coughs> is to fulfill God's purpose by using our gifts and talents, by living in community and loving others. All of us have gifts and talents and a purpose. All of us could live a more fruitful life if we use our gifts and talents for others. In the same way that um, the children were learning about exercising, and once you start exercising, you get more energy and you get into it, and you're more happy and at peace. The same way, doing the things for God, we get more energized. Our spirit becomes more at peace. We feel purpose. We feel we are needed in this world. <coughs> God has a purpose for each of us and for the family, for our families, and for the faith community we belong to. What is required of us is to figure out what our talent is and to use it. Asking God and others is a great way to start. Now, Paul continues, and Paul admonishes those who think they are better others through the metaphor of a body. The reality we know is every single body part is needed. None is greater than any other. We need the whole body to be working together. I would, in today's world, admonish those who think that they have nothing to offer. You know, I, I go to churches and I look at people, well, I'm too young or I'm too old or um, been there, done that, you know, I did it in my younger days, I'm not involved anymore or I'm too busy. I mean, I've, I know the excuses, I've used them, I've heard the excuses. <clears throat> but we are a body. And we need to work together, and to work together for the body to work well 
every part of the body needs to be involved and attentive and responding and being used. And so this faith community has a, a, a watershed moment at this time. A time for priorities and choices. What are the most important priorities? What makes my life more satisfying? What makes a difference in the world? Where will my time be best spent? And how much does God deserve? And if you ever read Paul, you know what the answer is. Everything. <clears throat> but we are called to live <coughs> to the highest aspects of our being. To a united community in love and peace. Then Paul lists some of the gifts that are important. Prophecy. Which really means inspired preaching. Being able to take the word of God and apply it to the present day. Ministry. The word that is used is of that who served in the temple. They, they made the temple life possible. Ministry today, I would say, is ushers and greeters and, and filers and organizers and cleaners and cooks and tech people and music and decorators and treasurers and accountants and human resource, and counselors, and advisors, and lawyers, and doctors, and nurses. All people and their knowledge is needed in the body. <coughs> Paul talks next about teachers and encouragers. Encouragers are your spiritual mentors, your prayer warriors, your smiling faces. What is more encouraging than to see a smiling face? Your mourners, your comforters, <clears throat> your get well card writers, givers. Now the word used there is um, with generosity, but <coughs> where Paul's Greek writing is about givers who give without an ulterior motive. Leaders, leaders who will be diligent in their work, the courage to stand up for respect and be willing to be peacemakers. Doesn't sound nothing like the world. And compassionate, cheerful acts of mercy, the good Samaritan. So because I have inside information on this church, I want to take everything I just said and apply it here. Now I do that because I know the love and care and commitment and maturity that is present in this church. <clears throat> this faith community needs to, as it faces as the world turns soap opera drama for the past couple of years, needs to face that drama, needs to process the pain, 
needs to sit and talk to each other and give each other space to say what is on your heart, to free your mind from what has been troubling you and from the things that have happened. And to honestly, faithfully move forward. And then to decide as a body, what is your purpose at this moment and time? See, a lot of people think that pastors are like miracle workers. I've been called to churches like that. Okay, we're calling Arlene. Everything's going to go great. Church is going to grow. This is going to happen. All of this will be wonderful. Pastors is only one member of the body. The pastor is not the whole body. And there are pastors, so let's say this church finds that the people in this church, the talents and the, and the heart is for um, caring for immigrants. And yet a pastor will come in and yep, they sound great on paper and they, they give great sermons, but their heart is on climate control or climate changes. Well, what happens is every time this pastor brings up their idea, it's not going to go and coordinate with the church's heart. So the church needs to figure out where its heart is first before it can call a pastor that will be a team member of that heart. It is a cooperative member. It's a body, and the whole body has to be on the same page. Now, I see this in this church <coughs> as an amazing opportunity. An absolutely amazing opportunity. An amazing opportunity to show the world how it's done right. An amazing opportunity for other churches to see how you can face challenges and come out on the other side. This is a watershed moment. This is a place that needs the hope here in Texas, please. This is the place we need the hope of people with diverse ideas coming from diverse worlds, coming together in one body and spirit. That is my challenge. I hope you pick up the, the baton and move forward because this church is home. This church is a beautiful place. Now your job is to make it even better. Your job is to show the world it's possible. Think of that. Your job is to show the world it's possible. What should be coming out of your lips is, hey, we had all these things, but we made it work, and we did it this way, and we did it that way. And the result of coming together in that one heart and one spirit will make a tremendous impact in Austin. Amen.